0: A citizenry that is provided with a high-quality education is the foundation of a thriving society. Former U.S. Secretary of Education Margaret Spellings has dedicated her career to ensuring generations of students receive that high-quality education.
1: The other thing I love about education is it's, it's you know, the ultimate kind of populist American dream kind of issue. We all have our own experiences with it, uh, good or bad. And it has made a difference to good or ill uh, in everyone's life. And it's fundamental to our society.
0: She shares how important it is that we equip our children for the workforce and college, what she would focus on if she was running for president, and the nickname she got saddled with in the 1990s. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late-night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategerist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. We're joined today by a longtime friend of ours, the great Margaret Spellings. She's the former U.S. Secretary of Education and the Domestic Policy Chief and had a really impactful stint as the CEO of the Bush Center. Now she's CEO of Texas 2036. Margaret, it's great to talk to you again.
1: Andrew, great to see you, my friend. It's been too long. I know. Our co-host today
0: is Ann Wicks, the Ann Kimball Johnson Director of Education Reform at the Bush Institute. I fear we've got a couple education experts here, so let's talk some education. Ann, thanks for doing it.
2: Andrew, I'm happy to be here
0: as always. But before we get to education, I think it might be interesting. This is, I believe, our first guest that has, beyond President Bush, has some real exposure, exposure to strategery. Margaret, you, uh, what, where did you cross paths with strategery in the past?
1: Well, I participated in it when it uh existed at the White House, a meeting that was conducted in the evenings on a regular basis, I would say every, you know, four to six weeks or so, that Carl and Barry Jackson and Alicia Clark and others were involved in preparing for. And it was a time in the evening when we could as assistants to the president, the chief of staff and uh, sometimes others, uh, maybe some folks from Congress, kind of look over the long haul, three to six months, about where the world was, where the American people were, what were, uh, what were the winds of, of change, and how did we need to be responsive with the president's time and the things that we were doing. Did President
0: Bush realize he was kind of the, the subject there?
1: Well, you know, it started out as kind of on the QT, but then, uh, you know, eventually he figured it out as he always does. You know, the boss. Exactly. He's, he, he, he'll, uh, he'll catch wind of things
0: sooner or later. So, Marty, you spent your career really in education and a long and illustrious career, but where did that passion for education come from? Like when did, where did that start?
1: Well, really, I got a lot of it from George W. Bush and from knocking around the, the state legislature because it doesn't take you too long to figure out that if you're in, in state government, the place where the action is, is education. More than 50% of all state budgets, as far as I know, are spent on public K-12 and public higher education. And so, uh, you know, gotta follow the money and that's where the policy is. The other thing I love about education is it's, it's, you know, the ultimate kind of populist American dream kind of issue. We all have our own experiences with it, uh, good or bad. And it has made a difference to good or ill uh, in everyone's life. And it's fundamental to our society. When Bush ran for governor, he you know, had a four or five point plan and the foundation of which was education because he believed and does, as do I, that if we get education right, we get criminal justice right, we get health right, we get lots and lots of things in our world and society, not to mention economic growth and prosperity.
2: It's shocking that anyone cares about anything else. I right.
0: couldn't
1: agree more on the education. <laughs> that should be
0: the focus of the Bush Institute. I know. Or at least have a department.
1: Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait. Right. It there there does. Go, well, there Andrew. are lots of other things. And I want to talk, you know, <laughs> in my new remit at Texas 2036, I mean, we're certainly recognize the the primacy of education, but also how connected it is with, with these other policy areas that are so important.
2: Well, when you were first getting going in Texas in the 80s, you were part of the Perot Commission, which originally started looking at some teacher's raises, which turned into a much broader reform, but you had a very famous reform that came out of that, the no pass, no play initiative. Why? That was sort of controversial at the time, but why was that significant, do you think? It
1: was, and it was, um, it, but it was, I, I would not say it was the major reform of the time. It was actually a foundational. This is the, just as a little history lesson. The mid-80s, uh, this was the time when the whole accountability and standards movement was beginning to develop around the country. And then Democratic Governor Mark White asked Ross Perot, the CEO of EDS at the time, and his lawyer, Tom Luce, the founding chair of 2036, and F.O. George W. Bush, and F.O. Texas Education Reform, to lead that effort. And I was a young staffer working for a member of the Texas House of Representatives, who was the chairman of the Education Committee. And so it was a combination of things. It was our, our first crack at accountability and standards and assessment, and yes, no pass, no play, but also a class size requirements for the early grades, which drove Resources down into uh, the, the early reading grades and so forth. So it was extremely comprehensive. Pass, no pass, no play became a lightning rod because it was so right in the middle of the the essence of an ethic of Texas football.
0: Don't mess with Texas football. D- amen.
1: And um, what it really said was, uh, and, and lifted up for Texans was, I mean, do we care about academics and learning as much as we care about sports and extracurriculars in football. And so it said, you know, if you're going to be a student-athlete, first you must be a student. Correct. I always loved that as a high school athlete and a college
2: athlete, that no pass, no play in Texas, because I thought, what a disservice you do to young people if you don't emphasize or help them realize the student part of being a student-athlete. And there's life that goes well beyond whatever you're competing in so
0: Well it's interesting too because at the are,
2: are you still
1: playing a sport today Anne, or
2: did you know, you make your I have, else in I, some other way? I have retired from athletics, thank you Margaret. That, yes. That's my point. So for some years, <laughs> correct, right? Yes, I had to actually know how to read and write to yeah, be able to exactly. succeed as an adult, but I always loved
0: it. Yeah playing volleyball at Stanford, right?
2: Yes, Andrew, many, many days ago. (laughs) Have the arthritis to prove it.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) And the knees.
2: Um, Okay, so you are well-known, Margaret, for two things. Well, many things, but uh, your pragmatism and your sense of humor, I think we all know. I think in one of my early meetings with you, you described something I was working on as a nothing burger, and you were quite right, but I thought that is a perfect way of capturing an empty (laughs) policy. Um, And I think... uh, when you were when you were advising governor then governor George W Bush the teachers groups gave you an interesting nickname the princess of darkness but you sort of embraced that and I'd just love for you to tell us a little bit about about that part of your Yeah, path.
1: actually, it was a colleague of mine. I represented school boards, and my friend represented school administrators, so together we represented management. And there are four teacher organizations in, in Texas, two of whom consider themselves a union, the, affiliated with the NEA and AFT, mm-hmm. respectively, and two that are teacher professional organizations. But our union friends, and they are friends, and we you know got along really well, obviously on different sides of lots of issues, but they dubbed my colleague, my friend, and, and and me the princesses of darkness so and good humor on signy die which used to be a lot of fun in the the waning days of the texas legislature that last night of the texas legislature <laughs> we had black taffeta capes made with silver <laughs> princess of darkness written on the back and i think i still have the thing uh somewhere around here that i might have to get out if somebody if people give me trouble around
0: we might can we tweet a picture of that so? i know uh, i gotta find it it's probably one of these
1: boxes that have yeah. been moved around with me all these all it these feels days. like an important artifact of
2: <laughs> humor and pragmatism and getting things done. But it was all
1: in good fun, obviously. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I admire and we worked with a lot, especially the AFT on, on reading. Mm-hmm. You, you'll remember these days, Anne. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teachers and, and, and we found common cause around kind of the under-preparation we were doing with teachers and how they learned to teach kids to read. And so, you know, we, we, we had some differences, certainly, but we also had a lot in common.
2: Yes, which is, which is amazing when I think about um, when we move to the federal level, No Child Left Behind, obviously, was such a signature important piece of legislation when uh, President Bush was in office. And it was a very bipartisan effort, which I think reflects some of that pragmatism and humor and finding common ground. Do you do you ever think we'll see that sort of collaboration again?
1: Well, I certainly hope so. And uh, it's something that I've been reflecting on, too. In fact, Andrew, this is what you can tweet. I have a (laughs) a, a framed thing. It's one of my proudest professional uh, achievements on my wall, which is the vote tally from the Senate and the House. A signing pen from the signage of of House Bill. I mean, of uh, no pass, no play. No pass, no play. No child left behind. <laughs> no, no child left behind passed the House three hundred and eighty-one to forty-one, and the United Impressive. States Senate by eighty-seven to ten. I mean, I don't know that they could adjourn by eighty-seven to ten these days. Right. And so when you think about things like, uh, you know, the ACA slash Obamacare or uh, you know, budgets or debt ceiling things. I mean, we do so many things on kind of those partisan razor thin margins. And it's hard to make those things stick with the American people and build uh, the building blocks of policy that improve, in our case, schools over time. And so um, I, you know, very much um, appreciate the time i had working with senator kennedy and congressman miller and the folks on the other side of the aisle as well as our republican colleagues to to make that happen because it wasn't easy but it was important
0: what do you think has changed like what what changed between when you were getting that bill passed to today
1: well it, as you know, I'm the, you know, number one fan of, of President Bush. And, you know, we had leadership. We had great leadership. And he made it a personal and a presidential priority. It was the first thing he did when he came to office. Um, and, uh, you know, all of the of the, you know, kind of Chemistry was right to get it done. Obviously, timing is always everything. But we had leadership. We had a president who cared a lot about education. He'd run on it. I mean, my my friends on the political uh, realm, the Carl Rose and Mark McKinnons of the world, say that it it probably may, may was was a part of the difference in the election. Women, Hispanics, uh, you know, people who care about uh, you know education as a top priority area, thought that George W. Bush had something to say.
0: And if you were stepping into office here as president and at the next election, what education topic would you want to focus on?
1: Well, and it's and it's the kind of thing that we're focusing here on at 2036. But we've got to do a better job of we call them pathways. I, I'm not I don't like that language, these t- transitions between high school and college. And we always think about those pathways, those bridges going from high school to college, as opposed to going from college. To high school. We need for Mohammed to come to the mountain. We need for our high schools to be what they once were. And that is places where people, young people, could get the skills they need to participate fully in the job market or in higher education. And we're not doing that now. So, um, you know, how do we, my bunker sticker, think about turning every high school into a community college? Through Relationships with community colleges, four-year universities, dual enrollment, P-TECH, lab schools, you know, on and on. But right now, those kinds of programs are too boutique too limited, um, and we need to do it more broadly. We have done this before, advanced placement and international baccalaureate. We have built all that infrastructure at the elite end if i could say it like that we've trained faculty we've provided supports for kids we have standards we have assessments that mean something on and on we need to do that for everybody else absolutely
2: well it's it's back to school back to school time and lots of people are debating the merits of classes or majors or schools or universities what what advice would you give people if they're thinking about what's going to be meaningful to me or my child or my sibling myself as a student in the future what should i be preparing myself for
1: you know we hear a lot today about you know the so- so-called soft skills teamwork working together and all of that and you know sure but it's not a, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a substitute for learning how to read and cipher at a high level yes. and we're not doing that now and i am it just breaks my heart to see the NAEP results in Texas go D-O-W-N when we and North Carolina, uh, once led the nation on closing those achievement gaps and, and NAEP results. And it wasn't an accident. It was, it was leadership and policy from the likes of George W. Bush and others who said, every kid matters. We're going to invest in reading. We're going to invest in teachers. And it showed up on the bottom line. And we took our foot off the gas and it's, uh, it, it, the results are speaking for themselves.
2: Yes. Yes. Dishearteningly. Dishearteningly so, I think. the uh, We're working on a um, a piece that's looking at the A schools here in Dallas, which have really intensified the great principals, teachers, yep. and instructional practice of some work. of the lowest performing schools. Sure. And as we're watching what they're doing, it's just really, really great instruction deep into content. And it's not a new fancy policy. It's not a shiny object. It's not it's a it's
1: technology. Not, it's not a, yeah.
2: It's actually just great practice and the kids... Well,
1: How do you replicate that?
2: Well, Andrew, that's the million-dollar question or the billion-dollar question, I guess. But what would you? Well, do we like you ask. know, we yeah. do know
1: how to do it. We know it takes a great teacher who is who is very skilled in their practice. Uh, it takes you know classroom management t- techniques, accountability, and standards that are clear, measurements aligned with standards. I mean, it's a, it's a cookbook of things, but it's not. Uh, it's not beyond our capability, <laughs> right. and guess what? It's happening in schools all over this country and all over this state every day, uh, proving that it's possible. And sadly, not happening in in way too many others.
2: One thing I was struck by in the A schools is just a discipline of Hell practice. Yeah. It's just an
1: absolute discipline of using data and practice and an expectation. That the kids can do Yeah, it. absolutely. And that is, to me, foundational and fundamental. You know, if I had a nickel for every, you know, superintendent that, you know, ba- and I used to keep a little clip file that's also probably in one of these boxes around here that basically had what President Bush would have called the soft bigotry of low expectations. Language that was, well, everybody knows that not everyone can learn to read. Well, darn near everybody can and is everyone going to be you know an astronaut? No, but can everybody have those basic skills to participate fully in our economy a whole lot more than than are now
0: One of the things that 's a big topic right now in in current events is the topic of free higher education, getting out of um, the early basics and into the into more workforce development. Texas maybe is ahead of its time. UT announced that they're bringing a lot more free tu- uh, free tuition for students in to Texas. their flagships T- to their flagships. Right? So, is Texas ahead of the curve, or is is it more of a national issue where we where presidential candidates need to be solving this?
1: You know, no. I, I think this is a, a great place for state action. I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of free college, and by the way, although it's a Byzantine, cobbled together, hard to navigate financial aid system. But, you know, you know, largely college is affordable at the very low end. But, you know, my idea of bringing high sc- bringing community colleges to high school, if we actually did that, we would cut the cost of college in half because you would get the equivalent of associate's degree while you were in high school and then be able to, you know, shop. Um, you know, in your community college or your public university for a really good value. Texas uh, ranks fairly well on affordability. Uh, we could do better. I commend UT and um, A&M for, you know, investing in those high flyers at our flagships. Those are students who, you know, probably often would have found financial aid anyway. The the masses, the folks, the students I'm worried about are those who are in our comprehensive universities and our community colleges and our HBCUs.
2: When you were Secretary of Education, the Spellings Commission on Higher Education... Had, I didn't name it that. I, yes. <laughs> it was named in your honor. Let's be very clear. I thought it was
0: named after the verb. Like. <laughs>
2: It it was not a dictate. uh, uh, But it it had some really interesting findings about access, affordability, quality, value, all the things that we were just
1: talking about. Are you encouraged? Are you seeing some pockets of that practice? Sure. And and, and I do think it was a conversation starter that was overdue. You know, higher ed has enjoyed and, you know, I've been a part of the enterprise and loved it, but, you know, for a long time had kind of the send us the money and leave us alone Kind of attitude about some of these things, and um, what the Spellings Commission so called the Commission on the future of higher education <laughs> asked institutions to do was to tell us what their goals are what do they aim to do and to establish some measurement systems around their own self described uh, goals and um, and and you know say if they're any good and and prove it and um, that obviously was not terribly well received in the Congress but the the good news is, is that states and foundations like the Gates Foundation and Lumina and others started to embrace those kinds of, of ideas and principles. And, you know, fast forward to today, there's a lot more of that going on. Uh, the Obama administration, um, you know, had a not dissimilar kind of view of some of those issues about how, you know, our better understanding of what students were paying for and the value of it in the marketplace, different approaches to some extent, but... Um, you know, I think the the body politic is moving in a direction that is is shining more light on higher education, asking more questions. And frankly, all the while, as the price has gone, gotten so high, you know, students and consumers are very price sensitive. And the good of that is that community colleges, I think, are much less stigmatized than they once were. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When you think about your work now
2: leading Texas 2036, named for the upcoming Bicentennial, focused on many issues around sustaining Texas. Tell us why what is why should this organization exist? What are you focusing on?
1: Texas 2036, on a on a probably too long bumper sticker, is <laughs> trying to put sensible people together to think long-term about the most important issues into our bicentennial and beyond by using hundreds of publicly available data sets and data systems to inform our work. And you know, we aim to be a, a fact-based, uh, uh, you know, uh, not uh, political organization, but a but a data-based organization. And those six areas that we're working on that we think are the most important things, and frankly, sometimes are not the focus of the public debates that we see in Austin or other state capitals or our national capital. But our six areas are education and workforce, health and health care, justice and safety, natural resources infrastructure. And finally, something we call government performance, which is how well do we run this $250 billion enterprise we call the state of Texas? Do we have the right data? Do we have the right planning? Do we have the right people? Do we have the right governance? Are we, as I like to say, organized for success? And so uh, there's plenty of, uh, of of room for uh, discussion and elevating. The other thing is I think we want to help Uh, Texans understand how their state is changing and how we need to be responsive to those changes or we will not continue to be able to produce the so-called Texas miracle. We're growing. We're growing diverse. We're growing poor. We have tremendous assets and blessings in our state, Uh, a Gulf Coast and an uh, an oil and gas industry, you know, amazing land, uh, you know, vast size, lots of people. Our biggest asset, of course, is our people, young people. And so lots to work with, storm clouds in the offing, as George W. Bush would have said, but nothing beyond the capability of Texans. I heard your founding chair, Tom Luce, uh, talk about uh, how we can't sit on our,
2: rest on our laurels, thinking, well, we've got full state coffers and this booming economy, and we can just ride off into the proverbial sunset. And he was describing that not too long ago, some of the wealthiest counties In this country, were in and around Detroit, and it was not a short time to think about what's happened in that region over the last thirty years. And it really struck with me, or stuck with me, as I think about what you know, what do we take for granted, and what
1: should we be thinking about, um, looking around corners here in Texas? Absolutely, and it's not just Detroit. I mean, it's the Rust Belt. It's the you know we we see all these ebbs and flows. And frankly, there's a new, uh, fairly recent issue of the Economist magazine that talks about Texas and California, and you know you you can drive out of this parking lot and see a lot of california license plates because people are coming here in droves why because they've they've made some poor policy choices that have made it a very expensive hard place to do business
0: we even saw in the news today that uber is uber is bringing uber. offices here to
1: dallas yeah which is, are they so, really yeah yeah, yeah more a california license EQ. plates <laughs> exactly <laughs> and one thing i will say and you know texans welcome newcomers that's Absolutely. A, that's another one of our assets we have been a huge hub for immigration and frankly it's been a big part of why the texas miracle has occurred some of you all are sitting around this table right now Yes, guilty Absolutely. of being
2: a, a California import. Detective. <laughs> I will own that, and yeah. glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> we welcome you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you.
0: So, Margaret, one of the things we ask—we ask all of our guests one or one question or the other. We think we'll ask you today this one, which is: What are we not talking about as a nation that we should be talking about?
1: What binds us together? Our our aspirational ideals, our expectations for ourselves and our children those kind of foundational sensibilities that used to be stipulated and well-understood that I think are, are not so much. And I don't know if that's in part a failure of our education system or things that haven't gone on in homes and families or what, but, you know, kind of, and it's the stuff that, that George W. Bush talks about. It's, you know, kind of the love your neighbor uh, care about your community. It's the, those, you know, be a good person first sorts of things. And then we can start talking about, about policy solutions. But anyway, I, I hope that uh, we'll have uh, leaders. I know we do, in, in President Bush that that can remind us what binds us together.
0: Well, this was just like old times, Margaret. Thanks for spending <laughs> some Andrew, time with us you. and uh, learn more about Texas twenty thirty six at Texas twenty thirty six dot org. Um, it's a interesting organization that's got that that's getting off the ground and really getting um, some good work done.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Anne.
2: Thank you. Appreciate you all. Thank you. Learn how the Bush Institute is ensuring all students are prepared for college and a career at bushcenter.org slash edreform.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about the strategist, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening.